The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here, and welcome to another episode of Meet the Mentor from the beautiful Citizen Theater in the heart of Hollywood. Um, Why do we even do these? Well, I'll tell you, LEAP is an amazing program, and this is kind of a precursor to LEAP. LEAP will be July 16th to the 22nd this year at UCLA. We'll have probably about 450 students at the program. What do we teach at LEAP? LEAP is a motivational leadership program for young entrepreneurs where we teach them the skills to be successful in life. We do it through a series of lectures, hands-on programs, and a lot of just kind of interacting with each other and with great mentors. We always feel that the fastest way to success is to find a great mentor, and that's why we do these Meet the Mentor videos, so that throughout the year, Students can learn things from different mentors and skills to be successful in life. And the coolest thing for me about LEAP is the fact that all of my patients and friends that I've asked to come and be mentors have said yes. And they come and they do it, and they're pretty phenomenal. We've had Paula Abdul, Mark Wahlberg, Michael Strahan, Jason Alexander, Kathy Bates, Anthony Hopkins, Apollo Ono, the most decorated winter Olympian in history. And this year, we have a commitment from John Legend and his beautiful wife, Chrissy, to come. And we get these students together and we create a community of support And it's just phenomenal. You literally have to see it. You can go online at our website, leapfoundation.com, and see a lot of the videos from the past. But these Meet the Mentor interviews have become so instrumental in our culture and have helped so many students start businesses, learn about businesses, and just be more successful. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to my friend, Michael Holtz, who is our mentor today. He has learned discipline and goal setting from being a competitive swimmer since the age of six. He thrived because of his relationship building skills, integrity to get the job done, and ability to carry out high pressure tasks while keeping an eye on the goal. His swimming career culminated in the Olympic trials in 2004. After an MBA from Cambridge, and swimming the uh, English Channel. He worked internationally building brands and markets until he decided he would create his own product line. After he realized that pet toys are predominantly made of plastic that can be dangerous for animals if swallowed, he started a company called Yomp, Y-O-M-P. It's a pet toy company that makes pet toys from silicone, safe. These toys are just as much fun for pets, but safer. The toys are available on his website at shopyompyomp.com, and he's hoping to bring his business to market in stores in the future. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Michael Holtz. Michael, thank you so much for coming and doing Meet the Mentor. Yeah. So, age six, your parents threw you in the pool, huh? Uh, Lack of better terms, yeah. (laughs) But you came from a really sports-oriented family, right? And I think your parents wanted you to go into football, but you decided to get swimming instead. I just kind of knew that I wanted to make my own mark um, on my own terms, and getting back into the pool was kind of the way that I found that. 
I was a swimmer too, and I think people don't realize the discipline in swimming. I mean, when you're training for swimming, you're actually doing like double train outs twice a day. You're in the pool for at least what, four to six hours a day. And the thing that I didn't like about swimming, it's not very social. Like you can't talk to your swim mates while you're swimming. Yeah, I'll have to give myself a little bit of credit here. Um, I would say that I've come out pretty socially inclined um, for being a swimmer. Yeah, it is not the most social. You're kind of overthinking, thinking things. Um, yeah, the amount of discipline and focus like needed to um, accomplish just, you know, anything really, um, really has really kind of come from those hours um, that I've put in the pool. And to be honest, I look back and and look at the volume and the hours that I put in the pool and in the weight room and with my coaches. And I don't really know, understand how I, how I did it. <laughs> but, you know, I think you're right. I think it teaches great discipline. And that's something that you used in building your business and going through school. How did you end up at Cambridge? I was a Division I athlete, swimmer, um, graduated university um, in New York City. I studied international business practice. Um, I was then awarded a Mountbatten um, Fellowship, Fulbright Fellowship, Fulbright. I then kind of went to London um, to pursue an international business practice degree. Um, I was there for two years while I was also working at Deutsche Bank. So investment banking um, on the sales side, finance. Um, so yeah, it was really one thing, kind of one chapter and one door closed. And I created, you know, wanted to create another door um, to open. And you also did a lot of philanthropic work along the way, right? Yeah. So when I was um, living in London, some of my colleagues caught wind that I was a swimmer and they had this challenge where we would go and do the swim race to raise money for different nonprofits. And this was being the Terrence Higgins Trust um, in London. And, you know, I didn't know that this was just like some, it was just some swim, let alone it was swimming across the English Channel against other financial institutions. So it became this like very um, competitive nature of finance, you know, which is a competitive, high pressured industry to begin with. But then you slap on a swimmer and a task like that. And, you know, we were we were off to the races. Oh, my gosh. My friend did that. Mm -hmm. And he trained. I don't know if you did this. He trained in a bathtub with ice cubes. Did you do that? Um, we we were able to kind of go down to the to the south of England and be able to do cold water training. It, it's it's a normal thing um, with with the British. It's really cold yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, do you wear any kind of wetsuit at all? So their culture really believes in not wearing wetsuits and being, you know, the American fish out of water, as you want to say. Um, you know, we, we didn't do a lot of wetsuit training, but, um, you know, we, we did mix that in. So how, how long did it take to swim the English um, Channel? Just under 10 hours, 9 hours and 56 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. But it was really cool because I was able to, you know, translate my the next step in my professional career and was still be able, was still had the ability to bring over, you know, my passion for swimming, my passion for sports and my fa passion for fundraising. Um, you know, once my... Um, you know, that particular job and program ended, I then kind of took that um, whole, you know, sports and raising money 
to bringing that back stateside. And I created the first ever swim from Sable to Fire Island to benefit the Stonewall Foundation. Wow. Um, which raised $250,000 the first year out. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. All right, so from Deutsche Bank, what happened? So I came back, the financial crisis, 2009, um, first man in, last man out. Um, I was, you know, told, you know, we can't fund your promotion. So I came back to New York City, not having a job, had a great, you know, um, foundational quantitative, qualitative background um, with finance. And I really kind of took this opportunity to reinvent myself. You know, I was in finance, I was in investment banking, taught me a lot, easy transition from swimming to finance, but I, I knew that my passion wasn't in there. And, and I, I think, you know, a lot of mentors have told this to me is, you know, just because you're really good at something doesn't mean that that's what you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, I took the ability to kind of take the fundraising and my sports and put that together to raise and put on different sporting events for different nonprofits across the country, which led me to moving out to California. And you're still doing events. You just did one for the, um, the Academy Awards, correct? Yeah. So I helped out a friend for a 10-year running event called Gold Meets Golden, and it brings Hollywood with sports. And it also raises um, for the City Angel Sports. So how did you transition into pet toys? And how did you come up with the name Yomp? So Yomp actually means, in British terms, going for a stroll in the park. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yep. My business partner and I have been in sporting goods for 15 years. I've worked for various international companies, bringing them to the U.S., and we've worked with silicone um, within various tools and products. Um, silicone, we, we cook with food-grade silicone in the kitchen. We're, cleaning it, we're cooking it with spatulas. We're feeding our children with it. So you've got to imagine this FDA food-grade silicone is a material of safety, right? So seeing all of my friends get married and have kids and now they're having dogs, some people are having dogs without their kids, and we're seeing an element of consciousness, right, with what we're feeding our pets. What are our pets playing with? Because now it's just as important as human beings. So we kind of saw this shift in this paradigm of safety happening, yeah, right? Yeah, what are the dangers with plastic and pets? Well, plastic, about... Um, 65% of um, bowel obstructions are from foreign objects, and even the slightest bit of plastic can cause a, a, a fatal um, bowel obstruction. So plastics are very hard. They, they, they are composed of, of um, various chemicals and off-gassing, and so all of those kind of risks and the consistency of the plastic really causes some potential harmful things to, to happen. Even the slightest bit of plastic can cause a deadly bowel obstruction. And so silicone is a much safer material that allows smaller particles to actually have the dog be able to pass. You brought some of your, uh, your products here. Can yeah. you show us what they are? So we've got a slow feeder. So if your, do if your dog eats really fast, we've got the best functional dog food bowl, but also made out of the best material, which is food-grade silicone. So BPA, latex-free, helps with digestion, and then, yeah. And what else do you have? We've got a ball rope here. Oh, that looks like fun. You love it, huh? 
The rope is made out of hemp. Good yeah. properties there. Snack and ball. So you can st stick treats in here. Oh, wow, it's heavy. Cool. And then fetch flyer, so we made a Frisbee. So again, like a lot of this material, we came up with this because my business partner has a foam rolling company that's made out of silicone. And so while all of his customers and friends and family were, you know, using the foam roller to, to foam roll, dogs were sinking their teeth into the silicone. Oh, right, right. And they right. were loving the chewability. So we came up with this term that we trademarked called gnaw right. Called so, what? Called gnaw right. Okay. So a lot of dogs who aren't normally chewers, they're loving the silicone. Okay. Yeah. All right. So if I am a student and I'm watching this and I have an idea for a cat product or some other product and I want to start a company, kind of take me through the steps that you went through when you started Yomp from, you know, getting a name to getting a business license to whatever followed next. First and foremost was I took my um, business school education and went and wrote a business plan, right? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Where's the white space in the market? Where can we take some competition? What are the weaknesses in the market? So we really kind of took a market approach in understanding, you know, the dog toy category first. Um, then I went out to some mentors of mine who've um, definitely watched and helped and held my hand through my career of school and, and some of the various opportunities that, you know, afforded me. And I went out and I raised the money and the capital. And then... How much did you have to raise? Um, we initially raised about um, $400,000. Okay. Yeah. So a after you came up with the name for Yomp, how were you sure that nobody else had that name? So that it was available. Um, we, we went through the process of first um, doing a whole, which I've never done before, which was awesome. Um, I brought in a creative agency um, and we went through the whole process of coming up with a brand. Who's our, who's our audience? Who's our market? Is it trademarkable? And looking to the, the patent office and applying for a patent and understanding, can we use this? And in what capacity can we use this? And so a lot of this was really fun because it was saying, you know, coming up with copy and words and taglines and, you know, how do these colors make you feel? And, and what is, right. the, you know, how does this make you feel? So it was a very interesting process that I've never gone through I know before. it is. In yeah. fact, when we launched our kickballs, we used a phrase, chew it, do it. It's a caffeinated gumball, right? And then we got a notification from the trademark office that we couldn't use that because somebody actually coined that phrase. But because they're in a different industry, we actually went to them and asked them if we could use it for our gum and they finally gave us the okay. But you gotta be really careful with that. You're smart to hire lawyers and stuff. 100%, yeah. And a lot of things that, you know, I've worked with, several middle market, smaller companies, startup companies, you know, that I've, I learned a lot of, of how it is that they came to fruition, but never have I started something from the ground up, which is right. what I'm learning now. So how did you come up with these designs? Did you just go and look on the market and see similar kinds of products and just kind of like did the old build a better mousetrap deal or? So I brought in another good friend of mine um, to help drive the creative wheel house of the business. Um, he acts as our creative director 
and has done this for several brands. And one of the things that I've always been taught from mentors is always bring in the best people and let them do what they're good at. And so creatively is, is, is not my forte. So having him come in and kind of also sit back, listen, learn, and contribute was, was how we kind of like started the creative juices flowing with, with coming up with the brand, right? Like a lot of people come up with a great idea and then they need to go source the product, but we did it reverse. We actually had the material and understood the opportunity and then now we had to go create the brand, right? So it was a bit different um, from your traditional, you know, starting a, a business, starting a product, starting a brand, you know? But you've only been on the market about what, four months now? Yeah, we launched just about four months ago, even though it seems like you forever. Know, we've, I've been doing this forever. Yeah. Um, we really wanted to deliver a special user experience within the toy category. Um, I felt like that there was some opportunity to create some fun, vibrant ways to reach the consumer. So with that, we really wanted to focus initially online, direct to consumer, we're in about 25 independent retailers at the moment, and Great. we're attending um, our first trade show this month um, down in Florida called the Global um, Pet Expo. Since the inception of your company, what would you say has been your biggest challenge and how did you deal with that? So our biggest challenge was and still is timing. I would say, you know, coming out of the pandemic into all of the supply chain issues, working with our supplier, getting to market, um, in a timely manner that we wanted to just wasn't happening. It was delayed and it was, you know, things that were outside of our control. You know, this whole, all of us every day, you know, are, are dealing with the, 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 the challenges and obstacles that, you know, COVID has created, you know, for us. Um, and then when we were to go to market, we went to market in one of the most expensive advertising, um, um, times of the year, which is holiday. Right. You think holiday, oh, everybody's buying gifts and, you know, that's going to be, there's going to be a big market, but we're also competing with established brands. And so paying for that advertising was, we were just priced out of, of that. So, you know, going to market when we thought we would versus when we would, and then also understanding being a new brand, you got to kind of create you know, some brand awareness and who you, who you are, no matter how, how much advertising, you know, you're spending. So what's been the most effective advertising or exposure that you've had, which has actually resulted in sales? Yeah. So we're really starting to align ourselves with really great, uh, authentic user generated content, right? Talking to our customers, how are you using our product? What do you love about our product? What do your dogs think of our product? Let's see it, shoot a post, shoot a picture, shoot a video. Um, we've had a couple different partners with some pretty good followings that um, have posted, you know, social media, entered a tag, and, and it's translated into business. You know, th this just popped into my head, and if you don't think it's a great idea, don't even do it, but you know it could be really cute and maybe even start to go viral because, mm. I mean, that's the key to social media marketing today is if you could find a really, really cute dog and do that thing where it looks like the dog is talking, just saying like 
ridiculously funny things about your silicone toys, but get it to the point where like people, you know, where like maybe every Monday you release a new 30 second spot with this cute dog telling you something funny and people actually start to engage and, and look forward to something new like every week. So now we're getting over to the hot topic of TikTok. Yes. Yeah. So something I don't know anything about, but um, yeah, it, this is something that we're learning. We're all growing. You know, things are changing no, every day by you, day. You said it yep. earlier. I mean, hire an expert yep. who does that stuff yep. because, you know, when my daughters started coming to me with like social media stuff, I'm like, okay, I get it. It's important. I have no idea what to do. So I just hired the best team in the world. And now I have more followers than any other dentist in the world because I hired good people. So I agree with you. Get a great yep. TikTok person. But honestly, I think having a really cute dog talking about your stuff in a human voice would be hilarious. Yeah. Another really cool um, statistic um, about silicone and, and our toys, which is relevant to your in industry, is that it cleans teeth. It does. So 80% of dogs over the age of three have gum disease. And chew toys that are utilized for cleaning teeth, our Tooth Buddy really helps with cleaning teeth and has yeah. the little knobs on I have it. a lot of patients who actually brush their dog's teeth. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they've been doing it since their dogs were babies, so the dogs are kind of used to it. Maybe, so, maybe we need to make a silicone toothbrush. A Dr. Bill silicone <laughs> dog toothbrush. Hey, I'm down. So if, if you could project where your company is going to go in the next year, like, you know, you could wave a magic wand and say, this is what I want to see. Tell me what that picture looks like to you. We're really hoping to first service and get a foothold within the independent retailers. You know, so, so much do we see certain industries be taken over by big, you know, general mass um, chains, which I've worked with a lot in my career, but I feel like telling our story, we have a very unique value proposition to communicate and educate communities. And I think doing that through the mom and pops and the independent, you know, pet retailers is our first and primarily our first and foremost objective is to cover, you know, a lot of those um, very grassroots kind of um, retailers. What's been your favorite part of building this business? Ooh, tough, tough question. I would say my, my favorite part of building the business was really cr seeing the brand come to life. Like, no way did I think these toys were going to be purple and teal and the cute little, you know, dog face and, you know, how does that make somebody feel and how does that connect with the certain demographic that we're going after? So, um, you know, as... As the ups and downs of starting a business, one day you can feel like you're on cloud nine and the next, you know, you can have the biggest challenge or obstacle in front For of you. Sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of things to be proud of that you've overcome yourself as a professional, as a young professional, um, you know, and also learning things. You know, um, I, I, I feel like part of this process is, is about failure and it's about facing those obstacles and about how is it that you are reinventing you know, yourself as an individual and how that is applicable to your company. 
One of the things that I've asked students to do at LEAP, and I'm going to ask you to do this uh -oh. as well, stop looking at things as failure and look at them as practice. Mm -hmm. If you do something and it doesn't come out the way you want it to, you didn't fail. You were practicing, yep. right? And keep practicing until you get it right because you really only fail when you quit. So as long as you don't quit, stop looking at that as failure and just say, okay, this is practice and we're getting closer to perfection. I won't right. work on that. Consider it done. Okay. <laughs> um, and if people want to buy your product, we have a special promo code. Yeah. Yep. So it is going to be LEAP23. And if you enter that in when you purchase any of his products on his website, which is shopyomp.com, you will get 23% off. <laughs> oh, and <laughs> what do we have here? It's a little, little handkerchief. If we see anybody um, make a purchase, we'll send you one of these also. Ah, okay, you get a free hanky. Yeah. A yomp hanky. Yeah. Is there anything else about your company that you want our listeners to know about that I might not have asked you? We're trying to create a safer pet play for everyone's homes and yeah. All right. And if students want to reach you, what's the best way to do that? You can reach me by email at michael at shopyomp.com. Awesome. All right. And I can't thank the Salvation Army enough for giving us this beautiful facility in the Hollywood Citizen Theater. And if any of you would like to find out more about the Salvation Army and what it's doing for our society, please watch the following video. Dr. Bill, over and out. Love doesn't discriminate. It doesn't pick and choose. When there's so much to fight against, love fights for. When others flee, love runs toward. And when darkness prevails, love doesn't despair. It never feels too small or too weak or too powerless to help. Love knows its worth and remembers its strength. Love isn't pro this or pro that, but proactive and protective. It's never quick to rage, but always quick to courageous compassion. Love gives everything and expects nothing. For 156 years, the Salvation Army has loved all who feel lost. With your help, we'll never stop. To learn more about the LEAP Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leapfoundation or on Instagram at leapfoundation. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.